The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. All right, we are going to be in Matthew 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at four verses today, um, verses 17 to 20. So if you've got your journals, you've got your Bibles, uh, you've got your phones on the Bible app, open up there and we're going to sit there today. It says this, it says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, as we open up your word today, the Bible, Father, I pray that you would speak to us through it. Lord, that we would gain an understanding of what these words mean in such a way that they would transform our lives. And God, we thank you that we have access to Bibles in our modern Western culture, that we can uh, have it not just in print, we can have it on our Bibles, we can even have somebody else reading it to us through apps. Uh, it is so accessible to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be a church that loves the Bible, that wants to read the Bible, that wants to listen to the Bible, that wants to sing the Bible, that wants to teach the Bible. And Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, your words upon our hearts today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Um, so just a bit of recap, Jesus has, has left kind of uh, walking around and he's gone up onto a mountain and there he's been starting to teach and his disciples have come with him and the crowd have started to follow and scribes and Pharisees are around him and he's been teaching them uh, what his kingdom is like. How do you enter this kingdom? Who is the kingdom for? What, are, what is kind of the, the, the requisites of those who are in the kingdom? How are they supposed to live? And last week, uh, Shane taught us like, some of the identity pieces of what it is to be the people of the kingdom. It's like, you are salt, you are light, so, so shine bright. And so as Jesus has been doing this, um, there's been lots of, uh, I would say, the religious people who are kind of wondering, like, what's his stance on the Bible? Like, at what point is he going to start talking about the Bible? Because we want to know where he stands, because there's been a few issues so far. One, he's, he's been healing on the Sabbath, and according to the Pharisees and scribes, you're not supposed to do that because the Bible says that you're supposed to Sabbath on the Sabbath. You're supposed to rest. You're not supposed to work. And so there's been these moments. He's hanging out with like prostitutes and tax collectors. Like these are unclean. These are people who they're supposed to like avoid because, you know, you might become unclean yourself. And so there's things that they're asking the question as to like, well, what's his view of, of God's word? And so this whole section that we're about to get into over the next few weeks really is Jesus talking about what his view is of the Bible. And so if you can look at the next slide, we'll put up the next slide. This is kind of how we talked about the actual body of his sermon being broken up. Okay, So there was an introduction, and he started off in the introduction talking about the fact that he was opening his mouth, he was teaching at the end of his sermon. It's all about him teaching, and he's teaching as this one with, with authority. But then now we're getting into the body of this sermon. And in this part, it opens here, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. And then at the end of 7.12, it says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. So he's giving us one massive bookend, which is it's about the teaching. 
And it's particularly about the teaching of what God's Word says. And so as we get into now what is known as like the body of his sermon, it's going to shift from saying like third person, he's moving from third person to second person, like this is, this is who you are. And now for the first time he's saying, this is what I say. And so we've called this series, But I Say, because this is really what Jesus is getting at. It's like, this is, this is who gets into the kingdom. This is who you are as kingdom people. And now this is what I have to say to those people who would follow my ways. And so what is meant by this idea of law? The prophets, the law. Uh, when we think of law in, in modern context, we tend to think of lawyers, police officers. The law is something that you break. Um, it, it, there's rules, there's do's, there's don'ts, and there, there's certainly an aspect to, to that, that that is true. And, but often when we think of what a first century person thinks around when they hear the law, we often think that, we, that they think of the Ten Commandments, like just the rules as well. But really, the law to, to a first century Jewish person isn't just a bunch of regulations. It's not just the do's and don'ts. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is what is meant. It is the covenant story of God's relationship, His covenant relationship with His people. So when, when you hear Jesus talk about the law, He's not just talking about rules. He's talking about the covenant story with God and His people. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets then is what the, the Old Testament sort of way of saying everything else in the Old Testament. So when it says the law and the prophets, what it's basically saying is the Bible. This is the Bible. This is what Jesus wants to say is the Bible. Okay, that's kind of our modern term. And so it's just, it's a summary phrase for the whole Old Testament scriptures. And I think Jesus has three things that he wanted to say to them. And three things that I believe he wants to say to us today that will help us to understand what does Jesus think about the Bible? Because I don't know about you, but whoever is able to raise themselves from the dead, I'm going to go with them. There's lots of people who have views on things, but until you can die and raise yourself again, I'm going with the guy who can do that. Anyone else in agreement with that? I'm following that guy. If he's got an interpretation of something, I'm with him. Okay? So what's the first thing that Jesus wants to say about the Bible? Well, number one, the nature of the Bible. It's God speaking. So verse 17 says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Bible. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus has come away on the mountainside. He's begun to teach about the kingdom and the scribes and the Pharisees are wondering what, like what his view of the Bible is going to be. And so he, he anticipates and says, don't think, because I know what you're thinking. You think I'm here to destroy the law. You think I'm here to get rid of the Old Testament. You think I'm here to say, that doesn't really matter. Follow my new way, the way of grace. That's, that's the law. That's grace. My way is a new way. And Jesus is like, no, that's not, no, that's not what I'm doing at all. I'm not here to get rid of the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. This is really important, particularly for New, new Testament Christians. Um, often we, we love reading the New Testament, sometimes because it's a little bit easier to read. But Jesus loved the Old Testament. He says, not an iota, not a dot. This is language that, that iterates that not even a, a little like stroke of a letter, of a Hebrew letter will be gone from his Old Testament scriptures. 
until heaven and earth pass away. This is him saying, never till the end of time. My words, this, this Old Testament Bible will last forever. What's he claiming? He's claiming that the Bible is inspired. In Luke 16 and 17, he says, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. John 10, 35, scripture, he says, cannot be broken. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the nature that you see with your eyes will one day not be here. But his words will still be here. In other words, there's nature and there's supernature. One will supersede the other. How many people here love to go to like a mountain, sit up on a mountain? Like I love going to Point Cartwright. I haven't done it in a lot of years since we've had kids, but I used to love going up to Point Cartwright up the coast, sit up high on near the lighthouse, looking over the waves crashing on the rocks, watching the sun go down, the window, and I used to love it. And there was this moment of like, man, this is, this is beautiful. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that very mountain that you love will one day not be here. The very waves that you enjoy crashing upon the rocks that does something to your soul won't be here. The very sun that you are watching that is going to go down will, will not be here. What will remain are my words. In other words, nature can pass away. Scriptures cannot. Therefore, Scripture is supernatural. They're inspired. There's something greater than natural. So yes, the Bible is written down by human hands but it is inspired. It is God working supernaturally through these people to put these words down in a book and these will not pass away. If you know anything about the history of the Bible, there are, there's been time and time again where this book gets outlawed and people are trying to get rid of it. It's still banned in 50 countries worldwide. If you have one of these, jail or death. It's the only book where this happens, by the way. They haven't done that yet with Harry Potter. Okay, still waiting for that. When Harry Potter, oh no, we don't like that. Okay, but this book comes into a country and people are like, get it out of here. Why? Because there's something that even, even certain nations realize there's something about this book. It is inspired. The way that 2 Timothy puts it is, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Jesus is saying, yes, the Old Testament was written down by Moses and David and so on and so forth, but ultimately they are my words, and they will not pass away. Secondly, he's saying that these are truth. And not just true in the sense that, that what this said would come true, even though that's true, but truth in the sense that, that what is written in here is actually the guiding principle of all of life. Right? So that sun that I enjoy watching set, sets because God says set. The only reason the sun is, is shining and doing what it's doing is because God told it to. Who here likes stars? Stars would be, oh, getting a few hands on the stars. Poor sun. Sorry about the sun. Sun's not getting the love. The stars are the love this morning. Okay, Stars that we love and we sit there and we look at and we kind of like we glory and we're like, wow, it's amazing. They're only shining because God told them to. That's how powerful God's word is. He said, let there be light. So there's light. Do you see? It's not just truth in the fact that what it says is real. 
That's true. It's not just truth in the sense that what it says will happen, will happen. It's also truth in the sense it is the guiding principle for everything. Can we get a little bit more raw? Can we get a little bit more real? The reason why marriages work this way is because God said that's how marriage works. The reason that generosity works this way and greed works that way because that's how God says it would. The reason why unforgiveness versus forgiveness works certain ways is because that's how God has ordered it to be. Life works a certain way because this is how God has made it to be. His words are inspired. His words are truth. So the nature of the Bible is God speaking. The second point is the point of the Bible is Jesus revealing. So verse 17 says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. The Bible, the Old Testament Bible, the Scriptures. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So I've not come to do away with them. I've not come to destroy them. I've not come to bypass them. I've come to fulfill them. Now, what does the word fulfill mean? Well, according to Dale Allison, there are nine different interpretations of that word, depending on the context. So we're going to go through all nine of them very slowly. No, we're not. Uh, Let me just give you a couple um, that kind of like make sense, but I don't think are exactly what he's saying. One is to fulfill means to obey it perfectly. Like Josh led us this morning to be reminded of that being the truth, that Jesus came and obeyed God's words perfectly. All of the laws, he kept them. When he gets on the cross, even even the guy who's who's on his side notices that this one has not sinned. He's done nothing wrong. He's, He's truly innocent because he has fulfilled, he has obeyed God's rules perfectly. And he did that on our behalf so that his righteous account could become ours. And that's a huge part of the gospel. But that's not what I think Matthew has in mind. Fulfill also can mean to teach something rightly. So you're going to see this throughout the series where where Jesus says, You have heard it said, but I say. In other words, you've got scribes and Pharisees and some of these religious people who are interpreting the Bible and saying this is what that means. So you can't walk 800 steps on a Sabbath. If you go 799, you're good. Got your step counter on, you're fine. 801, bam, bam, broke the law. Jesus is here to say, ah, you're kind of misinterpreting it. So Jesus is rightly going to teach the truth of how we are to understand the Bible. But neither of these are exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, by this word fulfilled, that he is here to bring it to its intended goal. Jesus is saying, I'm the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is me. And so he says to religious Pharisees and scribes, you search the Scriptures, but you do not have life because you don't see me in the Scriptures. Later on in Luke 24, he's going to be with a couple of disciples. They're on this road to Emmaus. They've heard that Jesus has has died, but they're not sure that he's been resurrected. And then they kind of have this moment with Jesus. And it says that Jesus interprets Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets, so that they could see how they were pointing to him. And then their eyes are open. They're like, oh, all of that was all pointing towards you. This is what Jesus has in mind. Matthew eleven twelve to 13 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Listen to this verse. 
for all the prophets and the law prophesied. How does, like we understand how prophecy prophesies. It's kind of like, that's what the word means. It means it's kind of foretelling or foretelling. We understand that, that there are passages and verses where it says this will happen in the future. Does that happen? Yes, bang, great. That's a prophecy that's been fulfilled. How does the law, how does, how does the books of Moses, how does Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, how do they prophesy? Well, what he's saying is, is that these really are pointing to something that would be fulfilled in the future, that would come to their right end. Hebrews, if you read the book of Hebrews, it uses the language of better over and over and over again. There's Moses, and then the writer of the Hebrews says, and there's a better Moses. There's a temple, there's a better temple. He starts going through lots of the Old Testament history and showing, this, this is the whole point of Hebrews, is to show how actually all that is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the one in whom it is pointing to. So for example, the temple, it's a good thing. In the Old Testament, the temple is a good thing. The point of the temple was to point to an ultimate reality, right? Because in the Old Testament, the temple is where God's presence is and where God meets with His people. It's in the temple. It's in the tabernacle. They're setting up the tent, setting it all up. God comes in, descends, meets with them. What's the temple in the New Testament? It's the church. It's us. And so the temple's not a bad thing, but it was not the ultimate thing. It was pointing towards one day where there would be a true and better temple, that the church would be where the presence of God is, that God's presence would live in us. How many here are comic people? Great. I ever got one. Anybody else? It's a, it's a few of the adults are like, yeah, don't tell anyone. Um, I, I, I don't read novels. I really don't read comics. And I really can't get into Japanese comics. <laughs> like it's, it's so, like when I see like a manga sort of, a ma- is it manga? Is that how we say it? I think that's right. Something like that. Um, when, I, when I see one, I'm like, oh, I don't even know what I'm looking at. And I put it away. Often, that's how we feel about the Old Testament. We start to read it and we're like, I have got no idea what's going on. This is really complicated. And so we put it down. Read the book of James and it's like, it just tells me what to do. That's easy. Either I do that or I don't do that. Old Testament, what's going on with the the she thing and the he? What's happening? I got no idea. And what Jesus says is, hey, listen, here's the principle. If you want to understand the Old Testament, every time you open and read it, just ask this question. What does this tell me about Jesus? How is this pointing to Jesus? In what way do I understand? Like the best, and so some of you have had this experience where you kind of knew the Bible, but there were all these disjointed stories. But, but as you start to realize, oh, actually all of this just keeps telling me and pointing towards Jesus. You start to get that, oh, I see how all this connects. It makes sense now. So I understand what Moses was doing. I understand what was happening with, with David. And this is, this is basically the opposite way of how Pharisees would read the Bible. So I love, I love Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, Don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. Amen. Go the English. Got to insert that. So from every text of Scripture, there is a road to Christ. 
And my dear brother, your business is when you get to a text to say now, what is the road to Christ? That was Spurgeon teaching that the preachers in his church is this is how you preach the Bible. You keep pointing people to Jesus. And so this is what the religious people don't do. Here's how the religious people read the Bible. They see what someone did in a story. They determine to do or not do that thing. And then they believe God rewards them for doing or not doing that thing. That's the religious way to come to the book. Okay, so let me give you an example. Okay, David, King David. Everyone know King David? Even those of you who aren't Christians would probably know King David. King David courageously fought a giant named Goliath and destroyed him. David did something. What do we have to do? This is how you read it religiously. I need to be like David. Okay, well, here's what David's like. Okay, what are my giants? Well, I've got the giant of disobedient children. Slay them. (laughs) Just joking. Calm down, calm down. Some of the parents are like, yeah, we've been thinking that. No one ever let us say it. Uh, You know, and so we we kind of go, okay, so we've we've got to follow his example and do the thing. And the Bible says it's, it's not that that's totally wrong. There is a sense in which David is our example. But if, if that's all you get to, you miss the deeper point. The way Jesus says to read that story is go beyond him just being your example. See David pointing to Jesus and Jesus is the true and better David. That he slayed the ultimate giants of Satan, sin and death. So that you and I don't have to slay them. They've been slain for us. Therefore, we now walk with Jesus, who is like the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we walk as his people full of courage, not because we have slayed anything, but because our King has. And in light of what he has done, now we are fueled with courage. Because if he's taking care of Satan's sin and death, he can take care of my bills. Like, what are they in comparison to the eternal destination of my life changing? If Jesus can do that for me, how can he not help me in my marriage and my family? How can he not help me with my anxiety? Like, if he's killed death, what is anxiety compared to death? Right? So, yes, I struggle with anxiety, but I don't lack faith that my God is bigger than it. So now I have courage even within my struggle. I go, well, this can't conquer me. Because death has been conquered, and He is my God. Amen? The book of Esther is similar. You read Esther, and she's like this, this, this woman who gets into this place of power and prestige, and she sits on this, this throne. But then she realizes that, that she might have to give that up. She might have to put her life at risk to save God's people by standing up for them. So the religious way to, to read the book of Esther is like, and this is no, like, don't everyone look at Esther. Okay, she is amazing, right? Um, The religious way to read that is going, okay, well, I've found myself in this position. Now I need to stand up and stand up for justice for somebody else. And I need to put my life and my job and my career at risk. Okay, let's get real. How many of you doing that? None of you. There's all sorts of stuff that goes on in your workplace that you don't go straight to the boss and go, listen here, mate. That's wrong. What you did to her, what you did to him, I'm standing up. Why? Because you know you're going to get fired. And then you're going to be out of work, right? We don't live like this. And if, if you only look at Esther, you'll, you'll never live like Esther. 
But if you look to Jesus and go, he didn't just risk his life. He gave it. He left the throne of heaven, came down to, to not just be with us, to, but to be one of us. And then gives his life away for us. Goes to a cross and dies for us. Why? For justice? Not really. If you think about it, we pretty much didn't deserve it. He did it just because he loves us. And as your eyes go from Esther, you go, wow. She's pointing to Jesus who would do this in a greater way. And he has done that for you. It fuels you. Because now I'm like, you know what? I can stand up for that person. Because God's holding my life in the palm of his hands. And the job that I have is not mine because I got it. I got it because my father gave it to me. And if I lose it by doing the right thing, he will just give me another. So I'm not afraid to lose my job. Do you see? I can risk now. But not because I looked at Esther, but because as I looked to Esther, she pointed to Jesus and I saw one who did that for me. And now I am free. So if you're here and you're stressing about your job, your career, can I just say, get your eyes onto Jesus. Because it will remind you that if he's taken care of the eternal, he will take care of the temporal. He will look after you. God will look after you. And so Don Carson puts it this way. He says, in other words, Jesus does not conceive of his life and ministry in terms of opposition to the Old Testament, but in terms of bringing it to fruition, that towards which it points. Thus the law and the prophets, far from being abolished, find their validity and their continuity in terms of their outworking in Jesus. You read the Old Testament book and you keep asking the question, how does this tell me about Jesus? Guess what you will find? It all points to Him. And you'll learn about Him and you'll walk in relationship with Him. And it'll open up this book to be alive to you because you're like, man, Jesus is the true and better Moses. He, he makes a covenant mediatorship between me and God in a way that Moses never could. Like He's the true and better rock of Moses. Who, when the rock in the Old Testament, while they're going through the land, is, is hit and struck and water comes out, Jesus gets hit and struck and living waters flow out of him. He's a better rock than, than they ever had. We've got a better rock. We have a true and better temple. Every, like, just go and, go and search true and better slash Tim Keller and let him do this better. It's great. So that's the nature of the God of the Bible, God speaking. The point of the Bible is Jesus revealing, and then the function of the Bible is spirit transforming. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That makes sense in light of everything he's saying. It's like, hey, if this book is truly God's word, we can't muck around with it. We can't say, I like that part, but I don't like that part. I love that part because it says, you know, my children should obey me. Love that verse. That's an awesome one. Don't like the one that talks about if I treat my children a certain way, I get put to death. Don't like it. Love the first verse. Don't like the other verse. Like we don't get to pick and choose. He's like, and this is what religious people are doing. They're kind of picking and choosing. He's saying, no, no, we don't get to do that. 
And how blessed is it to teach others about the book and about the God of the book. If the Bible really is God's word, then it calls us to listen in a different way than we do any other book in the world. Because God is speaking. I want my kids to grow up to know that if I say something that goes against this, they do not submit to me. They submit to God. And as soon as I'm out of line, they better disobey. And they better not disobey this guy. Because this is their true father, their better father, who knows better for them. Trust him. Don't take that too seriously, Fletcher. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, If your so-called grace, which you say you have received, does not make you keep the law, you have not received grace. You may have received a psychological experience, but you have never received the grace of God. What is grace? And this, this might be not what you and I think of grace. It is that marvellous gift of God, which having delivered a man from the curse of the law, enables him to keep it and to be righteous. Grace is that which brings me to love God. And if I love God, I long to keep his commandments. And he quotes Jesus, He that have my commandments and keep them, Christ said, He is the one that loves me. And so grace and the covenant of grace in which we are in is not abolishing the law and getting rid of the law. What it is doing is the Spirit of God is being sent into our hearts and we are being transformed so that we actually start to have our desires changed. So now we start to love what God loves. We start to want what God wants. We, we start to hate what God hates. Have you experienced that? For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, there was something that you used to like, a habit maybe that you used to have that now you're like despised. You're like, oh, it's just, it, it's gross. I would give you a list of things that I used to love before I was a Christian that now I'm like, man, I don't want to go near it. You know, the other day, uh, my girls were in, in the car with me and I was playing a, a sports podcast and uh, the, the particular person was swearing. And so I apologized to my daughter, said, oh, I'm so sorry about the swear words. And my girl said, Dad, can you just turn it off, please? We, we don't want to hear it. We hear enough swearing at school. And I felt like a terrible parent. <laughs> I felt like the way I'm so sorry. But I'm like, there's something in them that says, I don't want that. I don't like that. And swearing, like, you know, we probably put swearing down here. But it was such a cool thing to see that, like, we, we don't want to be around that. This is what God does to you through his word. His spirit gets it, takes it, makes you alive. And all of a sudden you start to love things you never loved before. I never read until I became a Christian. I paid people to do my reading assignments and get me a C. And if they got me a C plus, we had words at lunchtime. Too high, bro. They're going to work it out. C. 20 bucks, C. Became a Christian, wanted to know about God, started to read. All of a sudden, I'm like, man, I'm lapping this thing up. Something changed on the inside of me where I started to love to read. Now, if you were to come and see my house, now if you were to look at our budget, to my wife's glorious delight, books. Love them. Not Harry Potter books, like Christian books, guys. Okay? Oh, I'm so sorry, all the, all the Potter fans. My bad. Um, it doesn't mean to say that you can only tell if God's really coming to your heart that you like to read. But I guarantee you that if you've been a Christian for a while, there's something that you can see that you didn't used to like, you didn't used to do, that now you do because God has transformed you. And this is the beauty if you're here and you're not a Christian. 
This is what God does. He changes you. He transforms you in a, in a way that is so, so good. And so Jesus' teaching is consistent with the law and prophets, but is inconsistent with the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus is saying the way that you engage the law and the prophets, the way that you engage the Bible, make sure it's different from the scribes and the Pharisees. Go to it. Find Jesus in it. And as you do that, Jesus finds you and he transforms you. So then now your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees because theirs was an external righteousness. Yours becomes on the inside of your heart. You're like, I want to treat my, I want to treat my wife like this now. I want, I want to treat my husband like this now. I want to treat my friends, my family. Like, I, don't want, I don't want to hold unforgiveness anymore. I don't want to keep gossiping anymore. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to do these things no more. I want, to, I want to do these things. I want to be the greatest encourager now rather than be the one who used to pull everyone down. I'm going to pull everyone up. I used to use all my money for me. It went to my car, my wardrobe, stuff. Now I'm trying to find ways of how I can bless others with, with money. So I'm intentionally putting money away to go, okay, I'm having this. Okay, there's a need, bang. I'm going to meet that need. I'm going to serve that person with my money because that money, I, I, I don't look at it the same. It's no longer to serve me, it's to serve God and his kingdom. So I'm just, I'm giving it away. Do you see? And in that way, our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees because it comes from our heart. We don't come to church to tick a box. We come to church because we love Jesus. We don't pray and read our Bible to tick a box. We do so because we love Jesus. Amen. And let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.